What's in a name? Names are powerful words. We don't think about names quite the same way as people of old did, and this is our great error. In ancient times, a person's name often signified an event, a personal quality, or a family relation. In this way, a name offered not only a label for oneself, but even more importantly, a connection to the world one was born into and a part of. The acts of naming and being named were momentous events laden with significance. Consider, for example, just how significant it is that the first work God gave Adam in the Garden of Eden was naming the animals. God didn't tell Adam to count the animals, sorry all you mathematicians, or to classify them, sorry scientists, or even to feed them, and my dog Ruby is very offended right now about that. Consider just a few of the most known names in the Bible and their meanings. Adam means son of the earth or red dirt or clay. Eve comes from the Hebrew word for breathe or live. God changed the name of Abram, which means honored father, to Abraham, father of many nations. He changed the name of Abraham's wife, Sarai, which means princess, by one letter to Sarah, which means my princess. What a difference a letter makes. Jacob means supplanter. But God changed Jacob to Israel, which means let God prevail. Jesus means savior or deliverer. Peter, whose name Jesus came from Simon, means rock. And of course, God being God, the Bible reveals many names for him, all revealing glimmers of his nature and character. Yahweh means I am. Elohim means creator God. El Roy means the God who sees me. El Shaddai means Lord God Almighty. Yahweh Yaira means the Lord will provide. Ish means husband. Yahweh Shalom means the Lord is peace. As for me, my mother chose my middle name first, which is Irene, because it is my grandmother's name. And then she picked a first name that she thought was suitable to accompany it. And side note, for all my life, I really loved my name, Karen. <laughs> but the first thing that happened isn't the one you think it is. The first thing that happened was that one of my students, when I first began teaching, had an old beat up car and she named it Karen. <laughs> And then I knew, I asked her, why, why did you name your car Karen? And she said, well, it's an 80s car in an 80s name. And then it only got worse, as anyone who's on the internet knows. But look out, Ashley and Sophie and Caitlin, your time is coming. <laughs> For most of my life, I thought my middle name, uh, Irene, um, as old and ugly. But now that I'm older and my grandmother is gone after 102 years of age, I can better appreciate who she was and the life she lived and therefore her name. 
I think Irene is a pure, strong name. Its origin is Greek. It means peace. I'm thankful for this name, not only because I now think it is beautiful in both sound and sense, but even more because it came from my mother and my grandmother, and it connects me to the world I was born into and became a part of. I recently, just a week or so ago, read an article listing some of the very old-fashioned names that experts are predicting will come back in style. Um, some of those names are Antigone, Georgina, Honora, Viola, Orlando, Sumner, and Ward. And the article calls these old money names. My family wasn't old money name, wasn't old money. They weren't, we weren't any money, really. <laughs> but I'm thankful that my given names are actually more meaningful than that. God knew each of our names before we were born. Isaiah 43.1, Jeremiah 1.5, Psalm 139.13-16. In the Old Testament, the Lord speaks of giving a new name to his children in the new earth. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Isaiah 62, 2. And in the book of Revelation, God makes this promise again. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And the names of all his children, that same book tells us, are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The power of naming is a subset of the power of all language. To name something or someone is a gesture that is both creative and powerful. And all words are names, after all, for all wor words signify something. God spoke the universe into existence, and in giving us the gift of language, he gave us a lesser but still magnificent creative power to, in the ability to name, the power to communicate, to make order out of chaos, to tell stories, and to shape our own lives and the lives of others. There's a passage from the old novel, Dr. Zhivago, that gets at the importance of names. It goes like this. Lara walked along the tracks following a path worn by pilgrims and then turned into the fields. Here she stopped and closing her eyes took a deep breath of the flower-scented air of the broad expanse around her. It was dearer to her than her kin, better than a lover, wiser than a book. For a moment she rediscovered the purpose of her life. She was here on earth to grasp the meaning of its wild enchantment and to call each thing by its right name. Now, I'm indebted to this quote to one of my favorite films, Into the Wild, a film I first saw because one of my students at that time, a student jaded and burned out by Christianity, especially the evangelical kind, saw that film when it first came out all the way back in 2007. She told me that watching it was the most religious experience she'd had in a long time. So I immediately went to see it, to experience it for myself. 
And I, it was a religious experience for me, too. This film is not only about the power of names, but also about the significance of family, identity, and love. Even the imperfect fallen kind, which is really apart from Jesus, the only kind we'll ever know on this side of heaven. The book of Proverbs says that death and life are in the power of words. To choose a good word, to assign the right name, to arrange proper words in the best order, these are no easy tasks. Such work requires the creative power, the brooding, the birth pangs of a mother. Names, words, and language, they shape and create our souls the way a mother's body shapes and creates our bodies. Think about it. We describe the country of our origin as our fatherland, but our language we call our mother tongue. Indeed, the words that often wield the greatest power in and over our lives are those spoken by our mothers, from our names to words of encouragement to words that define and shape our character, words of truth spoken in love. And sometimes, unfortunately, the opposite kinds of words can have the same opposite power. This power of words is akin to that creative, nurturing our role, role a mother plays in our lives. The getting of meaning, like the getting of a child, is an act of nature and grace. Yet it's an act that's so everyday and so commonplace that we easily overlook its magnitude. Until we see that power in a new and surprising context, exerted, for example, by a fictional spider on behalf of a fictional pig. In Charlotte's Web, the much-beloved children's book, E.B. White bestows a spider with the name of Charlotte A. Cavatica. And he gives a little girl the name Fern Arable, a name perfectly resonant with the pastoral qualities that permeate the pages of the book. The story, Charlotte's Web, is a metaphor for the power words have to shape us into who others see us as, as well as how we see ourselves. And it is through words that Charlotte saves Wilbur's life, not temporarily as Fern has, but forever, at least the sort of forever that's contained within the pages of a book. Neither sentimentality nor human love can overturn the order of nature. Nature produces millions of species of animals, and scientists estimate that there are, on average, between one million and three million spiders on every acre of land in the world. According to one myth, you're never more than three feet away from a spider. Don't worry, it's just a myth, <laughs> we think. When we assist nature in bringing animals into the world, we take on a responsibility whose magnitude is easy to ignore. For me, growing up on a small farm among various kinds of animals, this is a hard reality I've often faced. Yet the Bible tells us that not one sparrow falls outside its creator's care. When we help create a life, even the life of some small, insignificant creature destined for the dinner plate or a life of servitude to humankind, we become a handmaiden to Mother Nature, 
and responsible to God. And so, by rescuing Wilbur from her father's axe at the start of Charlotte's Web, Fern takes on no small responsibility. In saving Wilbur's life, Fern becomes a sort of mother to him by giving back the life he came so close to losing as a newborn. In saving Wilbur's life, she becomes, in effect, his second mother. Fern's mother lets the family kitchen become a nursery for the runt. Fern bottle feeds Wilbur in her arms while sitting on the kitchen floor. She pushes him about in her doll's carriage, and when he outgrows the cardboard box in the kitchen, she feeds and plays with him every day in his small yard under the apple tree. But when Wilbur grows past piglethood, he is sold to Fern's Uncle Homer, who lives down the road. And Uncle Homer raises pigs not for pets, but for meat. It would seem that Fern's intervention on behalf of the runt will merely delay an inevitable doom. But then the unlikeliest of heroines, a spider, enters the picture. In Wilbur's new home, in the manure pile at Uncle Homer's barn, he meets someone he finds at first rather frightening and gruesome. After all, as Wilbur discovers, she eats flies. Not only that, the spider boasts, but she also eats grasshoppers, choice beetles, moths, butterflies, centipedes, mosquitoes, crickets, anything careless enough to get caught in my web. Wilbur can barely stand it when the creature further explains, I don't really eat them. I drink them. I drink their blood. When Wilbur protests and says he doesn't want to hear any more, she asks, why not? It's true, and I have to say what is true. I am not entirely happy about my diet of flies and bugs, but it's the way I'm made. Ah, Mother Nature once again. However, the story tells us, in good time, Wilbur learns that he was mistaken about Charlotte in his first impression, for she proves loyal and true to the very end. Wilbur's first hint about Charlotte's true character comes when she tells him her full name, again, Charlotte A. Cavatica. What an oddly beautiful name for a creature usually associated with ugliness, fear, and death. Upon hearing her name, Wilbur tells Charlotte, I think you're beautiful. Charlotte naturally agrees. Later, Charlotte knits words that describe Wilbur into her web, which stretches above his pig pen. In so doing, Charlotte makes the pig the talk of the town. And no one, not even a farmer like Homer Zuckerman, whose livelihood depends upon the fruit of this toiling, does away with a pig as special as Wilbur, one who gains widespread fame and visitors from near and far. So even when Wilbur loses first place at the county fair to a much bigger pig, Charlotte's words not only save Wilbur's life, they shape his life. As she weeds words about Wilbur into her web, Wilbur tries to live up to the meaning of the words. Some pig, she proclaims. Terrific, she writes. And as if by magic, Charlotte's serendipitously chosen words create in everyone who comes to see Wilbur, and even in Wilbur himself, a sense of being, in fact, some pig, and pretty terrific, too. But Wilbur protests when Charlotte chooses the word terrific that he's not terrific. That doesn't make a particle of difference, replies Charlotte. Not a particle. People believe almost anything they see in print. 
some things never change. <laughs> when Charlotte chooses the word radiant, she puts Wilbur through a series of tests to see if he is, in fact, radiant. And Wilbur does everything possible to make himself glow. Charlotte observes him critically, saying, I'm not sure Wilbur's action is exactly radiant, but it is interesting. Actually, says Wilbur, I feel radiant. And the last word that Charlotte makes for Wilbur is humble. And it foretells both his second place ribbon and the ordinary but happy uh, natural life that her words will allow him to live out. When I was a child, I overheard my mother talking to some other adults. I was only half attentive until I heard her speak my name. She said to her friend, Karen's very perceptive. I piped up, what does that mean, perceptive? <laughs> my mother hesitated, searching for another word. Deep, she finally explained. I wasn't entirely sure what she meant by that either, but I do remember understanding that somehow, in some way, my mother noticed something that distinguished me to her, something she could name even if I could not. From that moment and for the rest of my life, my mother's words, perceptive, and many other good words she spoke over me, have helped me to be the thing she saw and named in me. Now, like the old riddle of the chicken and the egg, the power of giving something its proper name in turn empowers it to become the name it is called, which, which comes first perhaps doesn't really matter that much. As the New Living Translation renders Proverbs 15:4, gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. I pray you have people in your life, parents, professors, pastors, friends, who brings, uh, who speak life-giving words into your life. And I also pray that you become one of those people if you are not already. Now, those of you who um, follow me on social media, uh, this is where I want to tell you a little story that happened on my way to Asbury Theological Seminary yesterday. Um, I was sitting on the plane getting ready to to take off and just thinking about some of the, the grief and loss that I've experienced in, in the past few weeks. And I prayed to the Lord. I knew I was coming here, and I knew that I would be encouraged. And I knew many of you would encourage me. Now, don't take this the wrong way. But. So I knew that would come. So I wanted another encouragement. <laughs> I'm a little, I can be a little selfish, I guess, or greedy. And so I said, Lord, please give me a particular specific encouragement today that has nothing to do with, with this. Um, and so the plane took off, and, um, and we're, we finally get up in the air, and the, we're getting our, you know, I guess just pretzels, because it was a short flight, so we didn't get any, any beverages. So I pulled my tray table down, and there was a piece of paper on the tray table, and I went to pick it up because I've you know, never seen that. I thought they cleaned those things. Um, <laughs> and the paper on colorful floral, you know, floral letterhead was taped to the tray. Like, who carries tape on a plane? I don't know. It was folded over, um, and it actually, I'm gonna, 
Oh, yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't have it. Okay, but you can look it up on social media later. Um, and it, it said if you, it, it was folded into, into, you know, four, twice, so into, into quarto. Um, and so it said if you, if you find this letter, these words are for you or something like that. And then I opened it up and it, and it had a, a verse. And then I opened it up fully and it had this, this long, handwritten note about being beloved and about my gifts being valued and cherished and how in Christ I am a new creature. I mean, these were the words that I needed. Who opens a letter tray on an airplane and finds a handwritten letter written to them? Like, this is so, this is the kind of cheesy, sentimental stuff that I abhor. <laughs> It's like it was in a Christian movie or something. <laughs> and that made it even more God. <laughs> because never would I, like, I don't even, well, I'm not going to get into that. But there are, you know, I have, I have my views and I have my opinions about these sorts of things. And I, but I do serve a God who has a sense of humor and irony, but also who loves me and gave me the exact words that I needed. And so uh, it was just, you know, I don't know who, who that person is. Uh, and uh, one of the things I noted when I shared this is that this is, this is why for me the Holy Spirit is, one of, is the most real thing in my life. And it should be, the Holy Spirit is the most real thing in every Christian's life. Because whoever wrote that note was being prompted by the Holy Spirit and obeyed. And I was being prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray that specific prayer because that note was already there, right? I mean, I don't know how that works. I'm not, you know, I'm not a physicist or whatever it takes to figure those things out. I don't think any of us can. Um, but those were words that the Holy Spirit prompted that person to write. And, um, and words the Holy Spirit gave me to pray so that I knew that God was hearing and listening, that God sees me and God loves me just as he does all of us. Uh, and so it was just on my way here to speak about the power of words. Uh, it's an, it was incredible to have that experience where God um, presented uh, words from himself in such a truly miraculous way. So I pray that we will um, be people who offer and receive words like that. Just as Charlotte, through her words, gives Wilbur life. And as her life is, uh, and she does this just as her own life is nearing an end. Now I hope there are no spoilers here. I hope you all know this story and love it. And if you don't, um, go out and get it and read it too. Um, but even though her life is coming to an end, Charlotte's life-giving role is not over yet. She leaves behind dozens of offspring born in Wilbur's barnyard under his watchful eye. Three of these baby spiders stay on in Zuckerman's barn to be Wilbur's companions, though of course none of them can replace Charlotte. For as the narrator says, it's not often that someone comes along who is a true friend and a good writer. Charlotte was both. Like a true friend and a good writer, right words 
not only right names, are hard to find. But like a mother, they have the power to give life. As Proverbs 25:11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible, the word, offers life-giving words. Be fruitful and multiply, God commanded, and the world is filled again and again with life. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, John the Baptist urged, and people are saved. Lazarus, come forth, Jesus said, and a dead man lived again. Let there be light. And it was good. Fear not. Be strong and courageous. Rejoice. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have seen the Lord. Behold, I make all things new. Thanks be to God. <laughs>